Hi, Sharice. Hi, Emily. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks um, for inviting me. No, you're welcome. One of the one of the questions that I love to start with is is where are you based? I'm in Toronto, in Toronto? which is in Ontario, Canada. And have you always been in Canada? No. <laughs> oh, so, okay. Where have you been before? I was well, I was born well, in was South born Africa. In and then Amazing. my family moved just outside of Toronto when I was young. And yeah. I lived in Montreal for university for five years. And I lived in Calgary for three years. Um, we moved back to Toronto five years ago. Wow. And I'm assuming that you enjoy Toronto. That's why you've moved back. I do enjoy Toronto. I enjoy things. Different things are good and different things are bad about each spot I've been. So. Well, what's your favorite what's your favorite thing about Toronto oh I love oh, I love being downtown in the summer and just exploring yeah. like I'm a tourist there's still so, there's much, still to so see, much to see even though I've lived here most of my life yeah yeah that's literally how I feel in London actually I mean I've only been here like a month a month sorry a year um and every day I feel like a tourist in in my yeah, own city yeah. which it's is amazing fun. where did it's you very fun I moved from Leeds, which is in the north of the UK, okay. so much quieter, um, a city, but a very small city. So maybe London similar just, to Calgary. Yeah, yeah, and L- London's just got so much going on, so you're never bored. Always things to do, but it's nice to escape sometimes and get get away back home into the nature, um, greenery, which is missing here. So. Um, but thank you for giving me a bit, a little bit more information about you and who you are and where you live. It's always helpful. Um, but I think um, what we're really obviously here for today is to learn a little bit more about your journey with mental health. So thank you so much for being brave enough to share that. I think the best question to ask to start things off is what has your mental health journey been so far? That's a great question. Um, so. Growing up, I always had kind of mild depressions that were tied to certain like sad things or seasonal, like winters in Canada can be harsh and I would get depressed. I never thought much of it. And then uh, in 2017, right after I turned 40 years old, I um, had a manic episode, my first manic episode, and I was hospitalized and I was diagnosed with bipolar one. This was in Calgary. Um. So that was hard because I felt like I've lived 40 years. I'm okay. I'm not bipolar. I don't know what any of this is. I want to know. So over the course of the next year, I was in denial and I didn't want to take my medication. Close to a year after my diagnosis, I stopped or I reduced my medication and I went manic again for my second episode and I was hospitalized again and it was terrible. And, um, I came out of it thinking, like, I can't deny this. I have to accept this is the reality. And since then, it became a lot easier because once I accepted it, I followed through on a routine and I, I've been taking my medication properly. I do everything else I'm supposed to do. So that's been, since then, I've been mostly stable, minor blitz. <laughs> and thank you for sharing that, by the way. Um, 
I think it would, might, might be interesting to understand a little bit more about if you're if you're open to share a little bit more about these mannequin episodes sure. and what they actually entail. Yeah. yeah. So, the so the first one, one I, wasn't I wasn't sleeping, sleeping which, which I've always, I've had, always trouble had trouble with insomnia, insomnia so that so didn't that clue me into anything. anything. But for, for a period, a period of, of about two about weeks, two I was only getting, getting three, maybe three, four, four hours, hours of sleep nightly. And, and as you can imagine, that just runs you ragged. By the time the two-week period was up and I was full-blown mania, I had all the classic symptoms, the pressured speech, grandiosity, lacking judgment in decision-making. There were just, it was just, life was just a blur. Like everything was either very exciting or it was very stressful. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and I have three young kids. Well, they were younger then, but so I have three kids. Wow. And I was kind, yeah, of, kind of showing, showing these, these, displaying, displaying these, this behavior, this behavior that, was that was very unusual for them to see. We would be in a restaurant, and I'd be mixing up all the leftovers to do an experiment, like just stuff that was not was very out of character. My second mania was very different because it started out with me kind of afraid because I I had reduced my medication and I hadn't told my doctor or my husband. And I felt like I would be in trouble. And I essentially essentially was in trouble (laughs) when I eventually told them and we all realized that I was going manic manic again. So that one started out with me afraid, which led quickly to anger. And I was much more angry at that manic episode. And when you talk about being angry, what, what, what did that look like? Well, at first when I was home, it was a lot of anger towards my husband because um, he, I felt he wasn't supporting me the way I needed to be supported. And I was still having so much, so many complications from the diagnosis that I didn't feel like he had fully helped me through. Um, and of course he was very angry at me because I would stopped or taken less been improperly taking my medication. medication. So, so we were just, we were just fighting. fighting. We were just, we were just not, physically not physically fighting, but, fighting, but we, would we would just feed off of each other's anger and just yell. yell and just and just eventually, eventually, it was the same thing. I wasn't sleeping. Like I didn't have, I lacked judgment in a lot of my decisions. And eventually he couldn't, it's not that he couldn't deal with me, but he couldn't really there was no, no there was way for him no to, way help for him to help me other than to get me to hospital. So eventually he took me to the hospital and then that was terrible. That's a really bad experience because the staff were equally irritated that I didn't take my medication. And so they weren't treating me very nicely. And I, so I was further angry, angered. Yeah. It wasn't, I wasn't ever violent. Um, it was just it a was lot, just of a lot of frustration. I was violent, I was violent with myself. myself. At one point, At one I was point banging I was my head against the wall, the wall, like in the door. The door was locked, and I couldn't get out of my room. Of room. I, yeah, hurt I hurt myself, myself like, but I wasn't. I wasn't violent towards anyone else. What What is it you think about um, bipolar that made you not want to identify with that, and, and therefore it's stop taking the medication? I think it was just fear, fear fear that I didn't didn't know know anything about it. it. And And the label label is scary, scary. Uh, the way it's represented represented in media and society. It's 
terrifying. terrifying. Um, yeah. So I think so I, I just didn't want to be labeled label as a crazy person. person. I didn't think I needed it because, you know, I had my, I'm already 40. I have my life going. I have my kids. I used yeah. to be an engineer. Like I had a successful career and all this stuff that I was like, no, this doesn't happen to me. But I think it was just fear. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, obviously that, that you were, that you were diagnosed at 40 and you mentioned about episodes of, of depression when you were younger but were there any like pinpoint moments throughout your life up until we being 40 aside from that seasonal depression that could have made you think you know m- maybe I'm a little bit different or maybe it's more than just depression yeah in yeah, hindsight in definitely, definitely. Um, um the two that stand, two that stand out, to out to me, me. I had a miscarriage with my first pregnancy, so uh, I was devastated. I was broken um, after, and my I was only eight weeks pregnant, but I was still completely broken. And a lot of people reacted in a way of like, "Why are you so upset by this? Like, it's sad, but you know, you're young." Like those kind of responses. <laughs> So when I think to that, that, and and it was okay okay because I got support support and I worked through it. I felt like I handled it in a healthy way. way. So it didn't really trigger anything then. Another time I was laid off from one of my first jobs and that really affected me. I felt like a real failure after being laid off. And other people, like, I recognize that people seem to move through these things easier than I did. Yeah, but I still but didn't key in, key in that, that I needed help. Wow, I mean, it, it's crazy to think that this was probably always underlying there, but yeah, it's yeah. there's been one you know trigger moment, and it's not until you're actually, you know, forty years old and you've got a family, and I can't imagine how difficult that would have been. Like, how did you balance being a mother and also dealing with this diagnosis? Yeah, that was hard. <laughs> um, I don't even know. The first year, so the first year was a write off after my diagnosis. And with my kids, I felt they were an inspiration to me, but I also felt so awful that I was letting them down and I couldn't pull myself out of because I had depression pretty badly after that manic episode. So I don't know. I think I just relied on my husband. Um, luckily I had his support. We were in Calgary, so all my family was in Toronto. So that wasn't helpful. I had some great friends in Calgary, some really wonderful friends who helped me a lot and did things like took care of my dog and took me to yoga, like forced me to go to yoga. Oh, that's amazing. You need friends yeah. like that, don't you? That, sure. that it's, it's the people around you that get you through in the end, obviously the therapy and the medication helps, but um 100% it's the support it is the support network you can't do it alone yeah another question you know in related to your children because I think this is there might be people listening to this who are your you know similar age you have children and maybe going through something like this um how did you have you told your children I'm assuming they know your diagnosis do they understand or yeah, How do you do help now. them understand? Um, so, so my daughter, my daughter was, four was four when I was diagnosed. She's my youngest. And my oldest was 10. So they were pretty young. 
Yeah. And they didn't know much about, I don't know if they knew anything about bipolar disorder. They would talk a little bit at school about mental health and mental illness, but they didn't really go into much detail. So um, I'm very open, as you can maybe tell. <laughs> yeah. But I, I have been actually since my miscarriage, because that was a big part of what helped me after that to heal was just to talk about it and make it less of a kind of shameful secret. So in our house, when I was slightly better after I'd come home from the hospital, um, I would talk to them about it. Like I would say, like, what did daddy say about it? And my mom did come out to Calgary to help for the first month after my diagnosis. So what did Nona say when you talked about why I was in the hospital? So we would just have conversations. Eventually, I started um, Googling celebrities who had any kind of mental illness and also specifically bipolar disorder. And then anytime we saw or heard anything on TV or the radio, I would say, oh, did you know this person has bipolar disorder? And it would kind of just, oh, no, I didn't know that. Like, I really liked that person or, you know, whoever. So it started to just make it easier to be part of the conversation. Yeah. But so I'm going to do a little plug here, if you don't mind. (laughs) So one thing I always do is I turn to books. I love books. And whenever I'm struggling with anything, I found memoirs for myself about bipolar disorder and and workbooks. I couldn't find anything for my kids. I found one book that uh, it was it was a little bit sad, like the book I was reading to them. I was like, why am I reading you this book about bipolar disorder when it's making us feel worse? Yeah. So I started writing a book for them them. and I'm plugging it because it was just published. published. (laughs) I'm going to show it to you. you. It's right here. Wow. That is amazing. Um, Yeah, Yeah, it was, it was was really important to me and my kids kids read it and they really enjoyed it. One, it's about four kids who are 10 to 12 years old and the, like each one of them has a different problem with a certain mental illness. So one of them, their mom has bipolar disorder. So that was my, way that trying is, to approach it for my kids that's actually incredible so they've read that book and throughout that book they 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 now understand what mom's going through and it, it's they understood, they understood it, already, it already but, but they, they can appreciate that it would have helped, helped them yeah and the book book has been published yeah it's published yeah, by dixie published books, by books in london, in london. <laughs> That is so cool. I mean, off topic, we'll go back to the mental health journey in a, in, in, a, in a bit. But I think interesting to talk about the book process. So how long did it take to write the book? Well, this one well, was, this fast, one was fast, fast. So I'll do so my I'll other do plug. My I'll get it over with yeah, now. So my, let's just my get first plug was, was, it's called, it's crazy, called crazy Memoir of a Mom, Mom Gone Mad. Mad. It's also by Dixie Books, published by Dixie Books. It was, uh, it started like the minute I came out at home from the hospital because I started writing therapeutically. I've always written just for myself and with the idea that one day I would write a book. But after a couple of years, after my diagnosis, I was like, this is really something that could be helpful for someone else as well as being helpful for me this whole time because I was turning to memoirs and finding them so useful. So then I started the process of trying to edit it into something that was readable and add more, not just therapy stuff, like more what actually happened. This was what happened to me. And then, um, so this one took three years to write and edit. 
but then this one, this one? one? Oh, sorry. oh sorry um 350 um, yeah 350 Wow. But then this one, like now I feel like I was really rushing because I wanted to get this one out there after having one. So this one only took six months. <laughs> I love the um, the cover for the, the normal one. I love the difference between them both because obviously the crazy is very adult orientated. Yeah, whereas yeah. that, I love the colors and everything. It's, oh, thank you. Yeah, it's great. And what, so I understand obviously the name of the first book, but what's the significance behind normal? Normal? That's a no, you have great questions, Emily. <laughs> um, it's kind of one of the themes of the book is that there's no such thing as normal. So all of these, these four kids and every other kid really in their grade are struggling to be normal and appear normal and fit in. Like So by the end of the book, they've gone through this process of like, what is normal and does it even exist? No, it doesn't really. I love that. I love that. That's amazing because normal doesn't exist. Nobody is normal. There's nothing normal for any of us. Literally. Um, I mean, this this is again, you know, a little bit off topic, but I kind of like where this conversation is going. Um on the topic of your children because that's so important now children's mental health is huge and obviously you're a parent that's advocating for mental health which is rare I mean um my parents live in a generation where mental health didn't exist and they don't really understand mental health so do you feel like as with what you've been through now and as a mother and understanding mental health you're more aware of your children and any potential changes in their moods and how do you um have you noticed anything how do you how do you kind of deal with that if that makes yeah, sense yeah. For, sure. for sure I am kind of hyper keen like vigilant about if they're not sleeping or if they're not eating great I mean they eat junk like any other kids do but um I'm extra aware if their moods are changing and like many bipolar people, I'm very sensitive. So I'm, I clue into their body language. And so for sure, I'm paying attention. I think one thing I feel really good about is that because I experienced all of this and we all as a family had to learn all of this, like how to, how to take care of ourselves well for our mental health. They have a better um, kind of foundation for what to do. And also they are aware there's, a small like a slightly small slightly increased chance that they could have bipolar disorder or a mental illness so they'll be more on the lookout for it um going forward and they'll know it's not a death sentence they won't have the fear of this diagnosis if they get i don't think they'll have this fear at least not to the degree a few years ago that i had it absolutely um so you made a comment then about them having a chance of getting bipolar because their their mother's got bipolar have you got any family history of bipolar so it wasn't diagnosed because um it wasn't called bipolar disorder but my grandfather on my mom's side had manic depression same same thing um and he was diagnosed diagnosed, i think in the 80s so he was already you know, know, well, like advanced advanced in age age. and he'd been living a certain way and his life life also wasn't normal. normal. He also had problems. He fought in the war. He had PTSD, which was never talked about back then. He had to be a man and provide for the family. He wasn't allowed to talk about his depression and he would have mania that 
he had to kind of hide and keep saying he had alcohol problems like he had all kinds of problems so but like you said with your parents it wasn't it wasn't talked about it just wasn't discussed so even when I got the diagnosis it came out amongst my siblings that my, our grandfather had the same disorder so and nobody knew like nobody my mom knew but none of us knew we all knew there was sort of a secret something but something wrong but never understood yeah so so how did your parents deal with the diagnosis then yeah I think it was hard for them they didn't talk to me about it much because that's well, they're British and that's the British way, <laughs> at least for their generation. So yeah, we, didn't, yeah. we didn't talk about feelings. And I think they were, I think my mom especially felt very guilty and because it had passed through her line. I think she really was trying to um, not be held accountable for giving it to me or I, I think I, she I just think felt she bad, bad generally. And my dad, my dad I, remember I remember the first conversation I had with my dad after the hospital. He was he like, was so what now? now? And I was I like, know. I don't know. Like, how am I supposed, supposed to know what the answer, answer to that question? That question. Yeah. Who knows? So I think they were really like worried and they didn't know what my future would hold and if I would be able to function. And none of us knew. So, so you were an engineer before this. Yeah. And then the you had your first, you know, manic episode, then the second one you ended up hospitalized. What did life look like after that hospitalization to where you are today? Today. So that so was that right was when right we right moved when we back, to, back Toronto to Toronto from Calgary. Calgary. And for me, that was that very, was very healing, healing because, because for one thing, my family, family and, and Toronto, Toronto friends, friends that oh, I yeah. had many years. So they, they were very helpful. In supporting me but for the uh, another reason was that I really feel like Calgary was a hard city for me to live in it's a beautiful city and I love it's very calm I don't know close-knit community yeah but and beautiful I just I love the nature so much but the winters are so long and hard um, and for me, I'm not, I don't like winter, so I don't even do Toronto winter as well. So Calgary was hard. Um, but the, the other reason Calgary was hard was because of my second hospital experience. Um, I, I think for a little while, I was traumatized after that. Some, like some very difficult things happened while I was in the hospital. And I really felt like leaving Calgary to move back to Toronto healed that, healed that in a lot of ways it's like a fresh start moving away yeah. from yeah. Exactly. exactly and yeah. living yeah. in a city yeah. where I, have, I don't I have don't hospital have staff who were you know they've you know, berated, they berated me, me. so that so was, that great. was great. great and then, and then my kids my were growing up so life so was becoming a bit easier things things got better I started really having dedication towards my book that gave me some great purpose absolutely um and do you have you worked since then or is your main focus on the book um it's on the book book, yeah yeah. and um I'm writing another one now now. (laughs) so I've got my three books on the go (laughs) oh my gosh I love it so where do where do you sell the books um they're on Amazon and I think they're at Waterstones in the UK the Dixie Dixie website. website Sells them directly. So cool. yeah. And, and how, do you, 
and are, and are the books doing well so far? I don't know if they're doing well from a sales perspective. Um, I don't really, I don't, I don't have anything to compare them to really. I mean, they're not, they're not on any bestseller list, but. Have people, um, has anyone reached out to you personally and, and yeah. said they've read the book and it's, it's helped them? Yeah. Yeah. I've had some amazing conversations with some amazing people who I walk away like that was why yeah. that was exactly why I did. Why are you doing it? Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. So today, obviously you're living a, a normal life, whatever normal is. Yeah. Um, so how do you manage bipolar on a day-to-day basis yeah Yeah, I've got it it pretty much down down what I do but still there's no guarantee guarantee I wouldn't end up with an episode episode. um Um, so medication medication and sleep sleep are the cornerstone for my uh, stability also having something fulfilling on a daily basis and some days it's really hard some days you still have mild depression and I can't really focus enough to work in the book but just trying to find something fulfilling in what I do even if it's in a meal that I make or something where I just feel satisfied proud I guess um exercise I I rely a lot on exercise um I'm trying to think I know I'm going to think of like a million more things after oh therapy I've I see my psychiatrist regularly um I have been seeing a therapist the whole time I've been in Toronto, we we just actually took a break uh, recently because it sort of seemed at some point. I love therapy, and when you find the right therapist, I feel like you get to a point where you're sort of just having the same conversations. And agreed, like, it's yeah. more like a friend. So it is. That's yeah. great, but um, I don't want to waste her time. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's it's worth every penny. Um, oh yeah. So, um, would you mind talking a bit about the therapy? side of things and what what sort of therapy you've had and what's worked the best for you yeah Yeah. so So I don't know know all the proper terminology for therapy yeah my my therapy therapy is just just talk therapy therapy, like with my therapist therapist, and she gives me strategies that so I I know a lot of what she recommends is based on cognitive behavioral therapy and I've done like worksheets and workbooks um, using CBT and that's been very helpful helpful for specific specific situations situations. a lot of what my therapist has told me it's really mostly mostly reflection reflection. and And then like if I go home and journal journal about something something in the start start, like now I I don't need to write about it actually as much but it's just thinking through like what I did versus like what I could have done and how I feel and how I might be misinterpreting something and even yeah. if I'm not, like, not, what like, difference what does it make doesn't at the end of the day? Kind of, like, really just really reframing the situation so I don't feel as down about it. But yeah. then she also and gave she me also a lot of techniques, techniques like, like the 54321, five, four, like grounding four, techniques. And those, those actually, I've written, actually, I've written a lot of her, a lot stuff, of her stuff into my into both my, of my books to try to pass on these. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. 54321. Would you mind explaining that one? Yeah, I love it. So, so I won't get the order right because I always just do whatever order I think of it. But so I'm I'm pretty sure it starts with you. You say five things you can see and you just like look around and say five things. 
then four yeah, three four things you can hear, hear. you go through you each go through sense. Each so I usually do see five things you can see, four things you can hear, three things you can feel, two and one, I can't always smell or taste either of those, but by that point, I'm usually feeling calmer. And if I can't taste or smell anything, I can just start the five, four, three, two, one again. Right. So it's really about just making it, just keeping you in the present moment and grounding. Yeah. Because is, would you say that anxiety is a big, um, is quite common with the bipolar? Is that something that you would experience? I never thought or think of myself myself as a person with anxiety anxiety, but I think think I am (laughs) yeah it's interesting with um with mental health illnesses I think because they all kind of like comorbid into each other yeah in a way like they're all so similar and the name the the definition helps so defining it as bipolar helps but if you look at the symptoms of most mental health disorders they're very very similar Um, And they've got very similar qualities. And so you can understand why, because I think that's a very common anxiety um, technique. So you can see why it's also being used for bipolar. Um, Another question that I had was around triggers. So you mentioned sleep, um, keeping sleep, exercise, all those sorts of things for managing it. But what would you say is the number one trigger that you really have to sort of keep on top of or avoid maybe avoid certain things if I um if I have alcohol alcohol, which I do sometimes sometimes in small amounts amounts, but if I I don't control control it that's that's the number one one. that's interesting because you're probably the fourth person that I've spoke to with bipolar that said alcohol what what is it that you what is it about alcohol you think that is a trigger um so for me personally i just noticed that it takes me into it it kind of seems to mimic mania or depression um when if i've had a little too much to drink i'm either like a bubbly euphoric type of mania which isn't every type of mania (laughs) or i'm or i might become like slightly depressed or when the alcohol wears off a bit i'm more likely to be depressed in fact, I've noticed even if I have a glass of wine or something at dinner, the next day my mood is slightly depressed from that drink at dinner the night before. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And um, where, did you drink alcohol before the diagnosis? Yeah. And I still do. Like I, I do have a drink. I just know I'm aware that I have to watch my limits and I know what, I, what to expect the next day. I don't I know mean, what in university drink. I drank like any university student. Yeah. And I think that's partially why so many people are diagnosed with bipolar in university. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's not go back to my university years. Um, gosh. So um, has that been, has that been difficult? Because I imagine there'll be people that are listening now that maybe have a diagnosis of bipolar that might be in their, mid 20s 30s and they're around people who drink alcohol it's the norm I mean in the UK I don't know about Canada but it every single social occasion it revolves around alcohol mm-hmm. so I know you still drink but you don't drink to excess so how do you manage that have you got any tips for maybe social occasions around alcohol that might be quite triggering oh, for you but that you, that you have to that's, that's... 
another good one. <laughs> so I guess yes. I, don't really I don't really have, have many, many tips, tips because it's something I actually, I don't struggle with it, but it is tempting to have another drink when other people are drinking. And I don't feel the pressure that I might have in my 20s. And maybe, I don't know, I feel like the mood is starting to change and kids are, not kids, 20-year-olds are starting to recognize that they don't pressure each other, hopefully. But I think the the best thing I've I've read up about this, because I also struggle with overeating when there's too much dessert in front of me, like in a buffet, I really struggle to restrain myself. So I've, I've read up that like the best things to do are just breathe, like take deep breaths and find a distraction. So like if you can walk away from whoever's holding a drink or got a, you know, piece of cake. That's a great idea. I love that. That's all I've read. I don't know if it works all the time, but it's better than nothing, I think. Yeah, I think the idea of you're technically walking away from the temptation mm-hmm. and then it's the whole, um, what's the, I can't, there's a, there's a certain rule for the amount of time it takes for. 15 minutes. Is it 15 minutes? So if That's you walk what I've away, read. Yeah. yeah, then after 15 minutes, you might think, I don't actually need that drink anymore. Or you've just or forgotten, forgotten about it because about you're doing something about else. it, yeah, because yeah. you're doing something else. Or not, or not and then you have to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> and then you do the five, four, three, two, one. And no, really, I think a lot of it is we're telling ourselves, oh, that looks so good. I really want to have that. And if we can breathe and talk ourselves out of it and say, it's okay, I know what will happen if I have it. A lot of the time we can ground, do a grounding exercise or something to yeah. hopefully offset it. Definitely. Um, so I think this is, this is going on quite nicely into one of the sort of the last questions of the podcast around advice for anybody that is listening to this right now, if you could give one piece of advice for someone specifically with bipolar, what would that be? Um, so I think the key to my recovery or stability was acceptance and I think the way to for me to accept it was to talk about it and to find that support network to Mm. um to really help me through it there are a lot of options for that so for me my support network at first it was reading memoirs which there are some great ones fast girl if you if you're interested in a book about a woman with bipolar that one was I'm actually read that because it's it's in I think that that is the best way to understand if listening to stories reading stories which is yeah yeah and then also if you well for me it was googling like famous people and those two things combined at the time I didn't have an Instagram account I didn't realize there's a huge supportive community on Instagram but, but those two those things two for things me just for made, me, made feel, me feel, oh, this, oh, is, this is okay. okay. Like, this is like, actually, there I are some cool that. people on this list. Like, I don't mind being part of this group. That. I love the fact that you were Googling people with bipolar celebrities. Yeah, I still do. Because I'm still like, I think that person. And it's, my an, kids it's, and I it's an interesting one. So I'm really small. And I was bullied for my, from being really young for my height. Because I'm small for my age. And, um... I remember one one day coming home from school and, and crying and I went upstairs and my dad had texted me when I was upstairs and he texted me a list of 10 celebrities nice. that were 
um, that were five foot yeah. and or under. And he sent me this list and there was like Ariana Grande and like uh, Kylie Minogue and all of these yeah, people. Yeah, Kylie Minogue, yeah. And I was like, oh my God, like, that's it's amazing. not actually bad to be small. Like, look at no, all these no. amazing people. And it's like, these are just normal people at the end of the day, but because they're celebrities and they've yeah. done well for themselves and everything. And I think that's where it comes back with the bipolar. At the time, you were probably thinking, I'll never achieve anything because right, right. I've got bipolar and I'm a failure and I, and how can I do anything with this disorder? But as soon as you reframe it and use yes. something like that to think, actually, this doesn't stop me from yeah. achieving things in life. Yeah. It's just, it, yeah, it's just, it literally is just, uh, it's just it's something that I have to deal with every day, a part yeah. of who I am, yeah. but it doesn't yeah. need to be, but it doesn't need to be who I am. And I think and that's what's really important. Like a death yeah. sentence. And yeah. on that note, you know, some people, for some people it is, it, it has been a death sentence. And that also was a wake up call to me that if I take care of myself, care of myself you, know, you know, I don't have to end up in this way that I'm dreading if I don't start taking start care of myself. Yeah. Yeah. You can live a normal life and you can yeah. write books and, yeah. and literally turn it all around yeah. And then actually use your experience to help other people, which is incredible. So um, just before we we end the podcast, one last little shout out to the books. If you could just quickly, oh, yeah. what are the names? Um, where can we find them? How much sure. are they? It'd be good as well. Um, yeah, I don't actually. So this one is called Crazy Memoir of a Mom Gone Mad. Um, it's... It says on the back it's fifteen pounds ninety nine cents. Um, I don't know if that price is still the same. This was from a couple of years ago, and this one is normal, and it says it's fourteen ninety nine. So you can find them on Amazon. You can also go. They're also if you contact me on my website or through my Instagram, um, I can direct you or whoever wants to know if if you're having trouble finding them. So what's your website and Instagram? Thank you. <laughs> so my website, my website is my name, my just name, as one, one word. word. So it's Sharice Jewell, C-H-A-R-I-S-E-J-E-W-E-L-L.com. And then my Instagram is at Reese Chale. So it's R-E-E-S-E-C-H-A-E-L-L. I should make a sign because it's not the I'll pop it in the podcast description anyway. Um, thank you but, yeah anyone listening right now definitely have to read those books can you get them in um audiobook or kindle edition or is they're it just not, they're not, no they're not yet in audiobook okay or kindle yeah okay Talk to my publisher, Talk to my publisher. <laughs> that's the next step yeah okay sorry emily do you mind me asking how tall you are i'm four foot eleven okay so i'm five two so we're not that far off really <laughs> that's nice that's nice yeah are Canadians smaller or are you just well I'm South African so oh, of course you are South and British African. descent so I don't know yeah. Canadians I don't think are generally tall considered smaller no oh, I think no, they're small. more they're all they all seem taller than me for the most part. well that's that's life isn't it <laughs> yeah it's fine <laughs> just life for a small person yeah. anyway um thank you so so much Sharice for being on the podcast today I have absolutely loved speaking to you it's and hearing great. more about your story um and I wish you all the best of luck with your next book can't wait to hear about that one 
and um I have no doubt that you've got great things on the horizon and I'm definitely definitely going to buy one of those books they look great thank you and thank you for having me here today thank you for doing this podcast and reaching so many people and inspiring so many people connecting everyone Thank you.